feels like um, quite, quite a moment of connecting, worshipping Jesus, of glorifying him. Um, we, we've, we've moved the order around just a little bit, um, just because uh, it seems to fit what I want to speak about, um, seems to fit um, with, with just where we've been heading in the worship. So uh, I, I want to start by asking you a question. What is Jesus like? What's Jesus like? If you had to describe him, what words would you use to describe this Jesus we've been singing about? Maybe just for a moment or two, um, maybe in your own thoughts or with the person next to you, why don't you describe Jesus to the person next to you? I'm going to give you 90 seconds to do that. Go. Here are a few passages that, that describe Jesus we've been worshipping. It says this in Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 22. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. This is the Jesus that we've been worshipping. What about Hebrews 1 verse 3? The Son, that is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It says this in Revelation chapter 1. This is the Apostle John. He has this vision. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. This is Jesus. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. 
I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. These are three passages that describe what Jesus is like now. You want to know what he's like now? Those three passages explain, they describe. I wonder, I wonder if I said to you now, now what words would you use to describe Jesus? Would you use any different words to the ones that you were used previously? The risen, the ascended, the risen, the glorified Lord Jesus who is sat at the Father's right hand. And I, if I'm honest, I just get a sense as we, well, we're one week into this season of hungering after God. Um, I, I wonder if we need to have a fresh vision of what Jesus is like. We, we need to see him as he is. That, that last passage is taken from Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. And it was written to a group of seven churches, real churches. They, they were situated in western Turkey. And these churches were right in the middle of persecution. They, they, were, they had their backs to the wall. They were right up against it. In chapter 2, a guy called Antipas had just been martyred. He'd been killed because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. In another, in another let part to the, another church, it talks of those that are being thrown into prison. They are facing things that, that, that we praise Jesus. We, we don't need to face it in this country. But actually, Christians are right around the globe right now are being martyred because they believe in Jesus. They're being thrown into prison because they believe in Jesus. Our brothers and sisters in, in churches just like this one are going through horrendous things. So this is a letter written to a suffering and bewildered church. Fillmore, um, a, a, a brilliant Bible teacher, wrote this. He says this about Revelation. He says, Revelation, it's not primarily about weird beasts strange allegories or encoded detail about the final years of planet Earth. It's not really about any of that stuff. It's a book that focuses on one great fact that trumps them all. It's a simple fact, but it's a fact that changes everything. God is on the throne of the universe. And right now, Whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, whatever obstacles you are facing, the God that we worship is sat on his throne and Jesus Christ is at his right hand, ruling and reigning. And I think that this is a message that we need to hear today. I think it's a message you need to hear today. This is something that I need to hear today. So in the midst of suffering and persecution, what was it that the churches, those seven churches need to hear? They needed to get a big view of God. They needed to understand what Jesus is like. And I believe that's what we need to hear right now. I think that will shape us over the next 15, 20 days or so, hopefully longer than that. Who is he? What is he like? How does he reveal himself? What is Jesus like it is critical is the most fundamental thing we need to know is what Jesus is like because on the back of that we make decisions on the back of that we have thoughts on the back of that we can do exploits for him 
We can, we can overcome in suffering. We can push through in persecution. We can get through in troubles. So we're going to look at the, the revelation of Jesus to these seven churches. We're going to take each church one at a time. It's going to be quite quick. We're going to go through. We're going to read it. I'm going to make a few points. And I, I pray, I pray that as I do that, you will get just a fresh glimpse of Jesus. Now, my confidence in that is not in my ability to communicate. My confidence is in the fact that we're reading the Word of God. It is eternal. It is infallible. And it is true for us today. So I pray, Holy Spirit, just as you are here, I pray, Lord God, that you will empower the words that come from my mouth. I pray, Lord God, that you will act in our hearts and our minds. I pray the different messages, Lord, will we hear what we need to hear today, Lord God, that we might continue to pursue you, that we will not grow cold, we will not give up, we will not just be overwhelmed, but I pray by your grace we'll get a fresh glimpse of you leading to faith springing again in our hearts where we need it. Lord, we ask for that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So the seven churches. The first church is Ephesus, church number one. If we can pop that up, that's brilliant. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus. The seven stars are either angels or messengers or messages to the seven churches. He, he, he knows about them. He cares about them. The lampstands are the churches. And Jesus is walking among them. He sees he cares. He's in charge. This is written to a real church just like us. We're going to see. This is to Ephesus. We're going to read about Sardis, um, Smyrna, Theatia. But it could be Hastings, Eastbourne, Sidcup, and Ashford. They're real churches just like us. And Jesus cares. And he's walking among the lampstands. Like a wise and skillful gardener who might walk among the garden and he will look at his roses and his other plants, because roses are the only ones that are coming to my mind at the moment. And he knows the state they're in. He knows which ones need to be pruned, which ones need to be dug up and moved. He, he, he knows which ones need to be fertilized. And Jesus is walking among the churches. He, he knows the state we're in. He knows our health. He knows our sickness. He sees. He cares. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't walk among individual Christians. He's walking among churches, local churches just like us. Jesus puts high value on communities of people that are living life together and worshipping Jesus. Jesus cares about King's Church. He's here right now. He's walking among the lampstands. He's interested in what is going on. Secondly, to the church at Smyrna. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. This is Jesus. Jesus is great. He is awesome. He is other than us. He is the first and last taken from Isaiah 44. He has been, let's just listen to some of these words. Uh, I pray they will warm your heart. Jesus, who has been present in the universe since before the dawn of creation, 
and he will continue into an eternal future. Jesus is never ending. He is before everything, and he is after all things. It says that Jesus died and came to life again. Salvation was planned before the foundation of the world, and Jesus will be with them, that church, to the very end. He will be with us. He will be with us to the very end as well. He's the one who defeated sin, brought about righteousness for his people. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Oh, now that's a bit of a miserable, uncommitted amen. I'll say that sentence again, and I'll just give you the chance to redeem yourselves on that one. He's the one that defeated sin. He brought about righteousness for his people. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. He is the one who was dead and is alive again. Amen. Now, just think. You are, you are someone that may be asked to give up your life because you're following Jesus. You may be martyred. Jesus is the one who died and he came to life again. Now think the hope. Think the hope. Don't worry about the screens. Look this way. He's saying, well done. Keep going. Don't give up in the midst of suffering. Why? Because Jesus suffered, even to the point of death, was buried, but then he, 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 he rose again. Church 3, Pergamum. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I don't know, did any of you describe Jesus with a sharp double-edged sword when you were describing him earlier? We know from Revelation 1, it's a sword that comes out from his mouth. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know, it's wonderful. Jesus always knows how to deal with us. He knows when to comfort and encourage. But other times he has a sharp double-edged sword to pierce our sinfulness and our compromise. At times he comes and he convicts because we've got sin in our lives and we need to repent from it. This is, this is the Jesus in the New Testament. He loves us, but he will not compromise with sin. In chapter 1, it says that Jesus has a voice that thunders like many rushing waters. I mean, it's wonderful living down by the sea, isn't it? This time of year, go down to the seafront on a stormy day, and you see the waves crashing in on the beach, hitting the promenade, going up over the road, and you are so grateful that you're not stood on the beach. Because you would just be washed away. The, the, the sea is, is awesome. There is a power, a ferocity to it. Jesus Christ has a voice like many rushing waters. He's frightening at times. That double-edged sword outside, out, out coming out of his mouth. There are times when we are afraid 
In this, this church was being told, do not mess with sin. Church, don't mess with sin. Don't compromise with sexual immorality. Don't do that. Church 4, Theatia. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet is like burnished bronze. He sees all things. The Jesus that we worship, he sees all things. He knows the realities of our lives. He has infallible knowledge. I don't know about you, I've been watching the news, and, and, and sometimes you're watching the news and you don't know what's truth and you don't know what's a lie. You, 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 you just don't know. Jesus does not have that problem. He sees, he knows all things. His eyes are like blazing fire, piercing through all the different stuff going on in our lives, the thoughts, the motives, the attitudes, the things we've done. He sees all things. You know, we hear a lot about, well, this is my truth. And, and, and to a degree, maybe there is an element where, where I get what's being said by that. But the truth is, it doesn't really matter about your truth. It matters about his truth. Because he is the judge, the king of kings, the lord of lords. So we need to line our lives up with his truth. That's our primary concern. His feet are like burnished bronze, immovable, representing both purity and strength. He, the Jesus we worship, he is awesome, he is immovable, he is all-powerful. Church 5, Sardis. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is a slightly more difficult one to, to grasp. The seven spirits, it's not talking about angels. It's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Holy Spirit, he is at work right now. He might be at work in your neighbor, in the person sat next to you. He can be at work in your life right now. Do you know what? If, if you're not certain, it's the simplest saying, Holy Spirit, I'm in, open to you. I want to hear your voice. I want to be in step with you. You can do that right now. Even if you don't know Jesus, you can invite him to come and work in your life. And he will primarily, his first thing is, he will reveal what Jesus is like. The stars, the stars in his hands are angels, messengers, um, or messages to individual churches. Um, angels exist. They're in the Bible. They're in the New Testament. There's loads of angelic visitation and stuff. I don't know whether King's Church has an angel that is doing God's bidding on his behalf. I, I don't know. And I don't think Scripture is clear particularly on that. But, but angels exist, and they're, they're working for, for God. And it's, it's amazing that he cares that much about us. Church number six, Philadelphia. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. This is our Jesus. Jesus holds the key of salvation and has the power to save. He alone has the power to give eternal life. He alone has the power to judge. This is the Jesus we worship. He is sovereign. He is head of the church, and no one else is. At best, myself and Sam as elders, we are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd of kings. Amen. He will never do anything evil. Jesus will never do anything evil. He will never lie. He will never tell an untruth. 
He will never be deceitful. He will never be unfaithful because Jesus is holy and true. Whatever we see around us, which may may cause us to question authority, Jesus is perfect in purity. When he opens a door, you cannot resist it. And when he closes a door, you cannot open it. He holds the keys. And when it comes to kingdom advance, when it comes to the health of the church, Jesus is sat on his throne, and at best we get to partner with him. In actual fact, we're invited to partner with him. And the wonderful thing is, as we step out and partner, we do it knowing, if Jesus has opened that door, no one can stand against it. So even in different ministries that you're involved in, Anna, I'm thinking about with you. If Jesus opens the door, no one can close it. Whatever opposition, whatever things stand against, whatever schemes of the enemy, if Jesus opens a door and you are partnering with him, no one can resist him because he is sovereign. And lastly, the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful true witness, the ruler of God's creation. What more can be said? This Jesus, he is the Amen, the God of truth, the one perfectly trustworthy, the ruler of God's creation, controlling all things. In the midst of suffering and difficulty and persecution, what did the church in Revelation need to see? They needed to see the glorified Jesus. In the book of Acts, when Stephen was being martyred, it says he looked up, he saw a vision. He saw God sat at the right hand. He saw God sat on his throne and Jesus at his right hand. And then Stephen is killed. Even in the midst of that, God is sat on his throne. And the danger I can have and the danger you can have is that we reduce God to made in our image. We take aspects of God away that we don't like. We cut away and we become this little image of God that's very domesticated and fits very nicely into our lives but really doesn't look anything like the God described in the Bible. And that's why Revelation is so helpful because it blows things up. It, 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 it reveals what God is like. I mean, there's some stuff that's confusing. I've, I've kept the simple stuff in there. It's stuff confusing and you can get all caught up with stuff. But in the end, what Revelation is saying is God is big and he's on his throne and he cares. And in Revelation 1, 17 and 18, how did John respond where he saw God as I've just described him? He says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. This is what Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of both death and Hades. I just want to highlight three very quick things to you by way of application that have come through prophetically in this first week of sort of going after God. The first one is this, wake up, wake up. For some of you, there is just a danger that you're going to drift into apathy and you'll become so subdued and docile because you're so content with what this world has to offer. Revelation says, wake up. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. We're not done yet. 
Go after God. Seek him again. Do not be content. Secondly, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We have lived in an atmosphere of fear for over two years. Now, there's been things that we, you know, there's been things with COVID that has been right to be careful with and to take correct steps. But maybe some of you here have adopted nearly fear. It's become like a new bit in your personality. And you're incredibly timid. Now, please, if, if you're at home right now and you're not here because of COVID, that is absolutely fine. That is totally, totally right. And it's right to be careful. But, but we mustn't be shaped by fear. We mustn't be shaped by fear. What does it say here? Revelation 2.10. This is to a real church. Do not, fit, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as a victor's crown. Jesus doesn't promise to save them out of the persecution, does he? I'd like him to, but he doesn't. He promises to give them eternal life, the victor's crown. Now, praise Jesus, none of us this week are going to face death because we believe in Jesus. But there were churches written to in Revelation where that was a daily possibility. Church, do not be afraid. The risen Jesus, he is sat on his throne. He is ruling, he is reigning. And number three, there's an invitation. Come and enjoy Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And, it, and it's, it's odd in many ways. We, we've seen the risen glorified Jesus and when the apostle John sees him he falls at his feet as though dead but what does Jesus come and do he comes and puts his hand on his shoulder and he says do not be afraid he invites us to come and enjoy him we're going to have bread and wine in a minute which is our covenant meal it remembers the death and the resurrection of Jesus it remembers that he died for our sin and that because he died for our sin, we can enter in with boldness, even though at times Jesus is frightening. And we can come and enjoy him. We can enjoy sweet friendship with Jesus and with each other. That's, that's what church is. We come and we eat together and we enjoy our Jesus and we enjoy one another. So just as I finish, just for you to reflect on, which instruction is it that you need to respond to? I don't know, but you will know. Is it, is it wake up? Wake up. Jesus is there. Is it do not be afraid? Or is it come and enjoy Jesus? 
And you may be here today and you don't know Jesus at all. Well, you can get to know him, and actually that's the most important thing you can do. And Sam and Natalie will tell you more how that can be done a little bit later. Can I invite the band up, please? What I'd love to do is just give you an opportunity right now just to ponder, think about some of the things that I've just been saying. Maybe it'd be helpful to stand if you're able to. Why don't you stand? I find that if I've been sat for a while and then I stand, um, it forces the blood to circulate a little bit. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. You may want to raise your hands. We invite you to come right now, Holy Spirit. I thank you that we can come with boldness to you, Jesus. <laughs> I pray, Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? I thank you. You care for us. You love us. You see us. Is it wake up? Is it do not be afraid? Is it come and eat with me?